Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. Nice, I like that. That's that's that delivers the delay. It's just you saying cast. It's great. Synergy. Um, with, synergy. Yeah, synergy, synergy, synergy. Um, this week we are doing a roundup of season one best moments. Looking back at our time spent, looking at back at our favourite moments from recording the podcast, as well as our favourite moments um, from with our guests from season one. And we will be spoiler alert. Uh, we will be talking to every single one of our guests naked. we have had on. Yes, Naked. It's now Naked Attraction, the Naked podcast. Um, you can't see it, but you know the way Naked. You know, just the fact that you know they're naked is important. Um, how are you doing, Charlie? How are you doing in this fine, fine, wintry, cold, wet, sad day? It's so t- like we we are recording as of four thirty, and it is so dark. It really is very, very dark. It is already. It's so weird. I mean, it's not that weird, but it's not that weird. It happens annoying. every year, but I think I think this year especially, I've seen the change of the season much more vividly because I've been working at home. Um, Is it because you've was... been home a lot more? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, if, if I when I'm in the office, it sort of like gets to five o'clock and it suddenly turns dark in the winter, and that's kind of like okay, that's the end of the day, that's fine. But it's when you realise in when you're working at home that like oh no, it starts going dark from like three. Like it's like it's it's it gets dark at five. It starts going dark from three, especially when I wake up quite late and you sort of you miss the you wake up at you wake up at midday on a weekend and then you've only got three hours of sunlight left. I feel like I'm in Reykjavik. It's it's difficult. <laughs> well, that's uh, for all our Icelandic listeners. Yes. Um, shout out to you. They might be. Um, OK. Who knows? Exactly. Who knows? Uh, you know, you know how I'd like to start, Will? You, how would you like to start? I would like to, you, as is tradition, to do a 30-second oh <laughs> recap of the entire season. Great. You know what? This might be... this Because I... Because I okay, cool. Uh, you ready? 30 seconds recap. In that, I've got to get 13 episode titles. This is going to be fun. Oh, you're going to mention... Are you going to hoodwink... Are you going to shoehorn all the episode titles in there? Who not? Maybe not. Maybe not shoehorn the, all the episode titles in, but I will definitely mention every episode. 
Okay. Are you ready? Five, yeah. four, three, two, one, go. Start of the season, we meet Rose. We also meet her family. Normal girl from London. Um, meet the Doctor. Chaos and shoes. She saves the Doctor's life from these plastic autons, and they go up travelling around space and time together. Uh, you then she then travels to the end of the world. She travels to Victorian London. She goes back, and meets her family. A year later, that's an issue. They meet the most devilish race of race of evil in the world called the Daleks, and that brings up a lot of PTSD for the Doctor. Uh, we go along, and we get introduced to this. Sack by, sack by five. Great. <laughs> you know what? I got to the long you game. Know, That's you know, better than I expected. You know what was so annoying about that is you said Victorian London. Oh yeah, it's not Victorian, is it? It's Victorian Cardiff. It's Victorian Cardiff. Yeah. I don't know. Every time I, I it's it's because Doctor Who always seems to go back to Victorian London and pretend it's Cardiff that I'm like, oh, it, this one actually is Cardiff. <laughs> Yeah, they, they go to Cardiff twice in this season. I think that's more than any other TV series, even those set in Cardiff. <laughs> well, less than Torchwood. Um, Torchwood is 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 Cardiff. Cardiff Cardiff City is sponsored Torchwood. If it was a, if it was an ITV show, it'd be sponsored by the city of Cardiff. The Cardiff Tourism Board. It's just like Doctor Who. <laughs> is Doctor Who to Cardiff? What New Zealand? No, what Lord of the Rings is to New Zealand? Yeah, I think it. I think it probably is. That's a really interesting narrative, and what um and what um New Zealand is also to the Power Rangers franchise at the moment. Really? They've all moved to New Zealand. Yeah, they they it, there was a big move in like 2010, 11. So all the new Power Rangers seasons for Whoa. cheaper cheaper filming are all filmed in New Zealand. That's crazy. Isn't I it crazy? No idea. Yeah, I mean, when, so all when, the early series this? of the Power Rangers are filmed in LA. Around about the point of like Dino Thunder or Ninja Storm. Like as we were as we were falling off the tail end of Power Rangers fandom. Sure. Sure. Dino <laughs> Thunder was sick. I love Dino Thunder. Let's just fuck this podcast. Let's talk about Dino Thunder for a second. Tommy coming back? Oh. Crazy, As, but Tommy coming back and just being so dull. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I liked him being a teacher. I liked I liked that dynamic. Um, I thought the White Ranger was cool. Um, uh, what Dino Thunder was great. Uh, did you watch SPD Emergency? No, that I fell off just trailed before off. SPD. That's exactly the, the same time as I fell off. I'm pretty sure the only series I watched as they were happening, were Wild Force and Dino Thunder, not Ninja Storm. So I watched Wild Force as it was happening. I watched a bit of Ninja Storm, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. Um, uh, I just found that there was a there was a gerbil that was the sensei, and I just didn't like that. And then towards the end of the series, the gerbil became a Power Ranger, and then we turned back into a gerbil. And I was like, oh, this is just silly. <laughs> I don't I don't know why that was the line, but that was the line. I don't know why, but that was the line. Um, right, we should probably stop talking about Dino Thunder and get into... And Power uh, Rangers in general. And Power Rangers in general and get into uh, Doctor Who. Um, what were your favourite moments from Series 1 or moments that stick out to you as really pivotal moments in, Doc in Doctor Who? Well, that's a very good question, Will. <laughs> yes, isn't it, Just? It's also quite an open question. 
and it deserves a good answer. It's honestly difficult to say because when I say what's your favourite bit of the series, I don't so much think about watching it. I think about discussing it with you on the podcast. So, mm. And it may well be that my favourite moments to discuss haven't necessarily been my favourite moments to watch. Having said that, I can't think of that many examples. <laughs> Although I did enjoy talking about the shitty black curtain on the end of the world. Oh, yes, I really enjoyed talking about that. I think my favourite topics of conversation <laughs> to talk about is that favourite shitty black curtain, the fact that Chris Freckleson hates men, or what I really like is our, our just our discussion throughout the whole of Boomtown about the, the four of them. Just like just like keeping on just trading the lines they kept on saying in Boomtown. Um, that, yeah, abs- absolutely. That, re- that makes me smile every time thinking about <laughs> the silliness <laughs> of all of them. Bless my team. Well, I think it's not so much a moment, but something I do really enjoy is um, the sort of development of a moral philosophy of Doctor Who. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think there are interesting moments where you sort of get a discrepancy between Rose's values and the Doctor's values. Mm-hmm. Particularly as it sort of relates to a bigger picture view of morality. The whole thing of, even in the first episode, she says, why aren't you more upset that my boyfriend's been kidnapped? And he's saying, because I'm trying to save the world. One person doesn't matter and can't get in the way of that. Exactly. And there's a sort of ends justifies the means philosophy. Which I hadn't really picked up on until uh, this rewatch and you see it in the fact that he obviously the Dalek isn't innocent but I think it really comes to a head in that episode that he's a person I I struggle whether or not to say person but he is willing to do what it takes yes in any situation and you kind of I think the moment most tellingly that you see it falter is in World War 3 when he isn't sure whether or not it's worth letting Rose die if it means he'll save the world and it's not until Rose tells him that it's okay that he agrees to do that and it's even that early on, you are seeing that sort of development from someone who's calculating, from someone who, whose very survival is based on the ends justifying the means because of what we know of the time war at this point. I just think it's really interesting so many moments where you understand a bit more about his values as a character. I think it's interesting going... It's, a, it's very... In this season, they do a great job of the, with the little time they've got over 13 episodes they establish a doctor morality and a and a companion more human morality um at the big at the beginning like you have end of the world where she's talking about like him being like the steward being blue and then it, it so it's it talks it sort of sees the scope of the doctor's universe versus the rose's universe in terms of the 
the sort of morality systems of like race and gender and his conversations with jabe um show show, almost show rose that and then you get to unquiet dead and then you have that line about the donor card and do you own a body bad it's a different morality get used to what leave and then you get to world war three and jackie i think jackie saying the lines like is rose is my is rose ever going to be safe is is a real like turning point in his not that he not that he changes his morality but that he's that he does question it and i think that comes to a head in dalek um when rose and rose's rose is morality wins the reason the doctor doesn't kill the dalek is because rose seeps into him and i think that you then you get you get further along the series and you get to episodes like uh, the doctor dancers and boomtown and it's a very different christopher christopher eccleston morality system than you have in the early episodes where he thinks he knows everything his morality system is more attuned to humans or attuned to sensibilities and sensitivities of humans as opposed to being more separated and potentially it's I, i'm gonna use dogmatic is that the word i mean to use here only you know that but i'm <laughs> i can see i can I, I see what you mean. I would say that Boomtown's an interesting one because up until the last minute, he's willing to send Margaret to her execution. Mm. That's 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 a good point. But I, it's 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 the TARDIS that intervenes. It's not a conversation he has with Rose or with Jack. No, and I think that in Boomtown, it's a. I don't think Christopher Eccleston's doctor at the beginning of the season would would have gone to dinner with Margaret. I think that's maybe the change in Boomtown. But you're right in terms of the doctor's morality system still sticks from the from what you see in the early season. But I don't think the and same. I, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't think that's I don't think that's inconsistency. I think that's just an admission that people are complex and their values are complex, and you can have a moment where you feel like you're inclined to one impulse and. In another situation, you feel inclined to another. Doesn't make either one more right or more wrong than another. Yeah, and it's an interesting one in Boomtown, especially because what's what's the other option? I suppose the other option is potentially handing them over, handing Margaret over to the UK authorities as a Slovene. But then they just break out. There's no unit. Unit at this point is fucking useless. <laughs> um, I mean, also their leadership's just been murdered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't really have many people to know what to do with her. Um, but I don't, speaking on this, I don't think the same Doctor in Episode 1, I th- no, let's re- phrase it like this, I think the, the Doctor in Episode 1, in the, in the parting of the ways, would have pushed that button um, at the end and sent the Delta Wave and killed half of humanity and half the Daleks. And I don't, and I think that, I think that it's a very clever way of building up a series arc for Christopher Eccleston, where you establish as someone who can at the very uh, destroy the very brinks of existence has this power has this internal rage and 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 because of that trauma and then you get to the end of the season and he's in putting a a similar predicament again and he chooses not to and i think that is these incremental changes in morality between human morality based more on empathy and the doctor's empathy based on a a mixture of prag by being like quick quick and quick and 
um, practical and um, I, yeah, I think this is the most practical Doctor we've had in terms of like worldviews. Not in terms of like building a cabinet, but in terms of like this. This is he never goes to IKEA. He never goes to IKEA. No, although um, he probably does. He probably goes to eat IKEA for the meatballs with Rose. I could see them, Rose, Jack, and the Doctor going to to IKEA to get the me- Swedish meatballs at the end of Boomtown. Just as a break, they need a break. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I think I think that he's a quite a practical doctor in the sense that, like, he's he he sees like the value of life as um, kind of numbered and kind of well, this to these people these people have to die to get to this certain stage, etc. And then I think Rose he's changes that. He's a quantitative that. quantitative thinker. Quantitative thinker. That's what I've been trying to say for the last five minutes. <laughs> um, something I've been wondering about is. Because they didn't know that Eccleston was going to leave after one season when they started the season. Mm. Mm. So I wonder if there's anything they would have done differently or put in earlier episodes if they'd have known they only had him from for one season from the beginning? Potentially. I think they might have got rid of more of the... I think, I think they might have kept the same the same episode structure. I think they might have just... In the first couple of episodes, like End of the World and Unquiet Dead, I think they might have they might have added a bit more um, trauma talking points or etc. But do you know what? I actually thinking about I've thought about this, um, and I think that one good thing about the, them not knowing that this Doctor had, was only had one season is that I worry that if they knew he only had one season, they would write out a lot of the the just incremental funny lines and focus more on a plot of the character. And I think that would make... And they'd make him really dull. Exactly. They do what Stephen Moffat was thinking of the, to do with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor for the Day of the Doctor special, which is to make him John Hurt's character, which is very dark. Like, John Hurt's character is great in the Day of the Doctor because he is he is in that lens. But we've seen Christopher Eccleston's Doctor and he's much more than just his darkness and just his trauma. Like the some of some of the greatest moments of this series are the light that Christopher Eccleston shows, like end of the world. Let's just go back to end of the world. Like he is that meme of him like dancing around to tainted love is still around today because it's so joyous. It's great. Yeah, and I th- and I think him being in Day of the Doctor would have been not upsetting. Upsetting is the wrong word, but sort of. In a lot of ways, counterintuitive because presumably it would be the Doctor before he met Rose. Yes. So it would be pre all that development, and it would just be quite jarring. Whereas we're getting Tennant at the end of his run, we're getting Smith at the end of his run, but we'd be getting Eccleston at the beginning of his run. Yeah, exactly. It does. It just feels like he would be playing a very different character to the one that he ha- was shown on screen, and that's I. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have minded seeing. Eccleston at the end of his run with Hurt. Mm. I don't agree that it had to be an, an either-or. I think the Doctor who had begun to come to terms with this thing that he did, having it all rise to surface, I think that would be quite an interesting thing. But, you know, it never happened. Maybe we'll get it in Big Finish? I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I'd like a Big Finish thing. Um, what? Okay, so let's... I can't wait for that. I doubt... I, what, what? We can't wait for what? Oh, the Doctor Chris Rexton big finish. Yes, of course, of course, of course, of course. It's so exciting. I do have another question. Go on. That you might be interested in answering. 
Is there a Doctor Who episode, specifically a David Tennant episode, that you would have loved to see Eccleston do? Now, I have an answer in my head, but I also can't imagine any other Doctor doing that. But I'm so I'm I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Midnight. I'd be fascinated to see what Eccleston did. That's so. That's not what I expected because my immediate. When you said my immediate thought, I thought we were on the same page. I was thinking school reunion immediately. Oh, that's a great one. Because yeah. Tennant is very much like in the mold of a lot of people said like he's a Baker Davidson hybrid. So it's not that ridiculous for. Sarah Jane to see similar things in him whereas Eccleston is just so different to all doctors that came before. Yeah, I agree. That's so in- that's so interesting. But then I started thinking what I'd like even more and we've talked a bit about this is the sound of drums. Yeah, I think that I think that David T- what did we talk about the fact that David Tennant and John Sim are too close to each other in in characters or is that or well, is that what we you, talked about? You, see, you said they were too close. I think it works. Mm, I still think it works. I think that it's. I need to rewatch it, but and I have I've rewatched it fairly recently. But I I do have the sense now that I I like Capaldi's Capaldi with Missy more because it feels more to one a side of each coin, and it feels very it feels a bit more Joker Batman than this which feels very um it um lex luther superman no not that's not that's a really bad example um i kind of see what i kind of see what you mean but i think that you have to remember sound of drums came out in 2007 and the idea of an evil tony blair is amazing oh yeah i yeah that's very very true contact context wise i was obsessed with john sim i remember as the master i thought he was amazing and I was convinced at the time that I'd never seen a better season finale because I was so built up for seeing the master again. Um, so I think it's—I think for me it's just aged worse as I've... Because I, I think that there's a... And I think this has affected Chris Eccleston's... Christopher Eccleston's legacy as well. Is that David Tennant for years was... It, it kind of blared out he could have took Eccleston out of our memory just by being around for so long and also being so good in and also and, not just so good but so involved in the role like he exactly do, he did a lot more like press stuff and charity stuff as the doctor so I suppose we talked a lot about Eccleston and about his moral his, his moral journey um I just want to say I suppose that um Christopher Eccleston this season has been an absolute delight to follow and to watch again, as opposed to just watching singular episodes from Eccleston, which I've been doing for years. I think going back and plotting him as a season arc and plotting the show as a season arc has been really fascinating to to get more, both get more depth, but depth, but also get more lightness. I think that's what I really liked about doing this recap of 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 season one uh, in over, in overview. But uh, let me, if you please, um, let me, if you please. That's a song about something, anyway. Um, let me, if you please. Um, that a song? No. Only you know that. <laughs> I don't think it is. I just think it sounds quite melodic. Let me, if you please. Anyway, um, I would love to talk about Rose for a second. Um, I think her journey in season one. There are some, there are some stumbling blocks that get solved in season two, 
like Mickey. Mickey's character is a lot more rounded in season two than season one. He needs to be this in season one, but they could have done a lot more work in making him potentially more likeable for the audience um, and potentially less wet and pathetic. But as we talked about in Boomtown, I understand why he's that. I understand why he is um, understandably... Um, equal parts furious and equal parts still in love with Rose that he can't ever let her go. I understand that. Um, but the first episode does a really bad job of fleshing him out. But in terms of Rose as a character, it's singular, take out the family dynamics of it. I love her relationship with Chris Freckleston. They have such an amazing character rapport. Rose and Tennant, it always feels easy. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how the situation they might maybe maybe in is dire, but they're always going to do it with a smile, both of them. Like there's very rarely an occasion where they are they are like at at each other's throats, unlike in season one. Do you ever see a relationship where it's two people that very clearly love each other, but you can tell that they're putting work into loving each other? Yeah, and yeah, being yeah. together. I think that's Eccleston and Rose, whereas Tennant and Rose are just people who are best friends and also in love. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's very, very different. This feels much more like a a romance as opposed to season two, which feels like a honeymoon phase. A shag fest. Yeah, a shag fest and a honeymoon phase. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Because it's almost like him... I know the kiss at the end of season one isn't romantic, but it does feel like it sort of opens new doors for them. And whether that's just because the Doctor's different or because of what happens in the Christmas invasion, because him changing and then, and, and then still taking her along, it's like they've renewed their commitment. For whatever reason, it feels... You're right, like a honeymoon phase, like something new has made everything so much easier. And, it's, and I don't want to be reductive and say... It's just Eccleston going and changing into what is ultimately a more easygoing person. Mm. But, I mean, g- generally, obviously, we, we're going to delve into that later. But it's almost like him changing. It's a catharsis, not just for himself, but for his relationship with Rose. Yeah. And, and obviously, we've said this a lot, but Billy Piper is exceptional in this series. I'd forgotten how... I mean, both of them do, but how she just is Rose. I think it's amazing that... I was thinking... I've, I, last night, um, I woke up quite late today to do this podcast. And the reason I woke up quite late is that I watched... I finished I Hate Susie last night. Um, right. Rose, um, Billy Piper's new show with the... Uh, with uh, Written by Lucy Preble, who is a writer of Succession. Um, and lots of plays. And uh, Charlie's frowning. <laughs> Why are you frowning? No, I'm just thinking, she's not the showrunner of Succession, because Jesse Armstrong is the showrunner of Succession. No, I don't know if she's the director or just as, like, pens, has pen scripts, similar to what Chris Chibnall did in Torchwood, where Rusty Davis ran it, but right. Chris, Chris Chibnall did most of the episodes for that. Cool. Maybe, maybe it was a situation like that. Um, what I will say is that I, Billy Piper is one of the UK's best actors, and at this point, she is undiscovered. At this point, where we where she picks up on Doctor Who, star. she's a pop star. And 
What incredible, in- incredible casting by Rusty Davis to find Billy Piper and to uh, to bring her out of this pop star and make her and not make her an actor. She was wanting to do that anyway, but like put her on the map in the acting world because she is so good here and she becomes the nation's sweetheart over a year. She wins all the big awards for Doctor Who. She wins Best Actor at the NTAs, I believe, um, in 2006 for her performance as Rose. And she dedicates it to Eccleston. And I think that that's it. I think that Billy Piper was wanting to leave Doctor Who at the same time as Eccleston. And then David Tennant changed her mind for that one series because she loved working I didn't know with him. that. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go too much into season two, Rose. No. But, but season one, Rose, especially. I mean, Father's Day uh, is just a highlight, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree. But I would say that you say that she. I mean, your implication was she wasn't the obvious choice, and it was a brave decision. But so was Eccleston. Yeah, that's very true. If you remember, everyone wanted Richard E. Grant. Everyone wanted Jim Broadbent. Like people wanted what they thought the Doctor should be. Whereas Eccleston changed people's perceptions, and that's really amazing. I think that Rusty Davis really... You know when someone knows something so well that they know what they can change and it still being true to itself? Mm, yeah. I think Davis does amazing, amazing work in this season. Um, so now what we're going to do, we're going to go back to some very special friends of ours who have guested on various episodes of the podcast and basically just get their feelings on this season of Doctor Who and how revisiting it made them feel. Don't go anywhere. to be rejoined by one of the only guests of the first season, uh, Mr. Alex Wilcox, who <laughs> recorded Dalek with us. Uh, absolute pleasure to be back. I had a great time. It, it, Don't it interrupt. Feels like a... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're still doing the intro. <laughs> I'm, so... I'm sorry, Char- sorry, Charlie. Sorry. But you know, now that you've now that you've started, you may as well go on with whatever <laughs> bullshit you were going to say. Uh... We do treat our, treat our guests nicely, don't we? Uh, well, I mean, I, I was going to say it was it's lovely to be back. I think I did say it, but now I'm going to retract that and say um, <laughs> I'm terrified to be back. Um, I'll do whatever you tell me to say. Or I'll say whatever you tell me. And it's me lovely to, to see Will. Whatever. Yes, hello everyone. <laughs> Hi, Will. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the show, Will. Thanks. Thanks. Nice to it's, an, it's an honour being here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so should we uh, should we get started in terms of um, let's talk about Dalek itself and the episode we, we watched together? It seems quite quite a long time since the episode has gone on. We've got a new we've got a new U.S. president elect in, in that time. Uh, we've gone into a second lockdown in that yeah, time. Great. 
Yeah, less grey. Less grey. Uh, we were. Co- I, I believe, throw out a pair the, of a, jeans in that time. Yeah, that's that's important. Oh, same. Equally important. What do they ever rip in them, or are they just just not your? They were just shit anymore. They, I I think it was a, it was a rip, and uh, it was a, an annoying enough rip that I didn't want. Was to it one of those ones where it's, a, it's in between the crotch? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was sort of like um, uh, uh, like reconnecting it to the seam would be a, a, a mess and just not work. And I ha- I like this is this is this is a side the point. I'm not gonna. No, I want to. I want to hear about your tape rip. Um, okay, well, not but, your I tape mean, ripping in half itself. I, I will. I will. <laughs> no. I, no, of course it, it hasn't just done a... that just, just today. Um, the <laughs> we're hoping. Fingers crossed for a tomorrow rip. Um, but I, I have like an old pair of jeans that I use to sort of like cut up and patch things. Um, uh, but like no, they, they, it, it was too far gone. It wasn't even, it wasn't even worth doing that. Beyond my. Skin. So that brings us quite neatly onto Dalek. Because <laughs> <laughs> Daleks wear jeans. Immaculate segue. <laughs> um, do you remember? Um, I, I suppose this isn't necessarily a question about Dalek, but in terms of. Watching the episode Dalek, and then uh, when you were younger, watching Bad Wolf and the Parting of the Ways, do you bring in that same level of fear that you had in Dalek to those two episodes of the Daleks itself? Ah, that's really interesting. Um, I I definitely remember losing the fear that I might have had for Dalek by the end of the series. I think that when 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 you get just all all of the Daleks, it feels more like a spectacle rather than that sort of like intimate um what what was still quite a frightening episode whenever you watched it um uh, I, I, did, I did feel like the the overwhelming sort of like number of Daleks did sort of like bring that fear down um quite a bit and of course that's if I'm remembering the episode right because it's been a very long time since I watched that because something we've been talking about is whether or not the fewer Daleks there are the more scary they are I I definitely think that's the case. I definitely agree with that. Um, there, there, I think the like um, like old school sort of like mass invasion episodes have a different quality to them. I don't I, I don't think it's necessarily like you can um, uh, correlate the quality of an episode to the amount of fear that a Dalek has. Um, like I think you know you, you get really good episodes that are about that spectacle and about that sort of like war front. Um, aspect with the Daleks, which I I also do really like, but um, uh, it is nice to get those intimate uh, fear episodes, and I think it is a testament of if they can return to that fear later. Mm. Completely. Do you have any Do you have any new thoughts on Dalek as an episode itself? Do you think do, you, do when looking back on when when you watched it, do you have any sort of feelings or stuff that you? wanted to say then and and I didn't say and what and want to want to put say now um I think so I, I chatted to a lot of people um since just about that episode and sort of like about watching it again and sort of that feeling of um uh going back to it and I, I did not remember how camp that season or like or particularly that episode was like I like I know like Doctor Who has a has an element of camp to it but like the sort of like level of early 2000s um camp was just like through the roof and I really enjoyed that in a way that I didn't remember was a part of it if you know what I mean mm. 
so like as an adult it's 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 um gained this sort of quality of um oh this is fun this is fun to sort of like um sit in this um what is quite a a, a, a like artifact of um early 2000s what what do you, what do know. you think of as being camp in that particular episode a guy owns the internet <laughs> um the sort of like uh very i i i feel like there's it's a high contrast sort of color palette um like walk and talks through corridors um with the guy who owns the it's all that guy who owns the internet man like i just that like it it was it was it was really sort of like sending me in a way that i didn't expect I mean, the oh people sort of like turning into skeletons as they're being electrocuted love it i mean <laughs> there is an element of homoeroticism in the episode that is like very clearly highlighted by rose so it's it's not even like so it's not even subtext it's it's camping masculinity that's what it is i think this episode it camp it makes henry van staten an uber male or like what is typically designed as an uber male into a very campy figure and i think that's what i quite like about rusty davis writing male characters in this early in this early season is he he does that with mickey i'm just imagining henry van staten as an uber driver oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can imagine that as well that's probably what he's doing now if that i've always wanted to write um big finish like like additional stuff of like like following the story after the things like henry van staten mind wiped as an uber driver um, Ro- Rose Rose Tyler in year one after after um, Doomsday, uh, all that all that kind of stuff. I'm fascinated by the sort of what happens afterwards, nature of nature of it. I I really um um I really like uh, uh what what you've brought up there about like how Russell Russell T Davis presents male characters because I think what you what what we get going forward is as uh, particularly as we go into Moffat is we get a real sort of um, in my opinion, blandening of characters, like across the board, um, like a, a lot of sort of like characters start to fit more um, cookie cutter models of almost like very small confines of where Moffat is comfortable writing, um, and like I think it's it's also very gendered. Of I think you you lose that fun that Russell T Davis has with um, camping um, camping figures. Um, but also you find that the, the female characters limit down quite a lot in terms of like what they what they do and what they say um, when it comes to Moffat. But I, I think that the, the, the early seasons really do capture um, that fun, that playfulness with characters that Russell T. Davis mm. has. So I remember you raised the point of the characters not being cookie cutter models. Um, in your opinion, if we could just talk for a moment about the Doctor, specifically Christopher Eccleston's Doctor... In what ways do you see him as unique and not, you know, overly tropey, overly cliched? What do you think makes him a unique invention? I think it's the um, the joy, um, excitement, sort of like wanderlust, um, paralleled with his his sort of fury, which is something that comes a lot. Uh, it comes up in Dalek quite a lot, and I think um, um, David Tennant runs with that as well. Um, and I, I think he captures that sort of wanderlust in a way that um, really brings people along, and he really captures that that fury, but in a real choice few episodes. But I think Christopher Eccleston has that 
that anger sort of like underplayed through a lot of what he does in a really nice way and i think that um well when when we get way later on um to exploring the time war in a lot more detail i really like this idea of um um, and this is this is this is um, bringing sort of like a retconned reading to things, but the 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 trauma that the doctor doesn't necessarily have access to that is informing his actions of um, Christopher Eccleston really brings out in a really nice way. I think. I I think that's I think that's very very true. I think that that I think that what I've I've learned from this series is Christopher Eccleston. I always saw him as the trauma doctor. But I see him both as the trauma doctor and of a, a doctor that's actually in a lot of ways lighter than Tennant, because Tennant has almost a facade of lightness that you then see snap often, and he snaps into shouting and, and fury and and sort of blood curdling like hatred sometimes towards like especially them the Dalek uh, two parter in season three he's very angry in that whole thing. Whereas Chris Freckleston, it's did much you just, more. Did you just say hangry? <laughs> I did just say Hangry. <laughs> he was. There were so many pigs Do on board. Do try the chips. <laughs> well, no, there was just so many pigs in that episode that he was just like thinking of bacon the whole time. Uh, no, that's a, that's a terrible joke to make. No, I, I think that's that. That's really interesting, though. Of uh, it's almost like um, uh, Christopher Eccleston is maybe trying to escape the anger, um, but David Tennant isn't facing mm. it. Um, uh, so like David Tennant snaps very quickly um, into it. Um, whereas Christopher Eccleston is trying to move sort of through it. And it's, it's very sort of like next to each other ideas of um, ways of facing it. Um, but David Tennant is um, really ignoring it as much as possible, which actually makes it a lot more violent and aggressive when it comes out. Whereas Christopher Eccleston is sort of like very aware of it and wants to move through it as much as possible. And so those, those angry elements are maybe more frequent, um, but the genuineness of the wanderlust is also there a lot more as well do you see eccleston as dealing with it in a more healthy way uh i don't see either of them as being super healthy but i think christopher eccleston in this sort of like framing of it would be dealing with it a little bit more healthily um i think but i think it's it's david tennant is building up to a crescendo of sort of like where his anger is unavoidable right. um whereas eccleston isn't ha- doesn't really have a frame um, that, that deals with that as directly as from my memory, um, yeah, I, th- I feel like David Tennant sort of like pushes towards that that narrative conclusion uh, of the anger a lot more. And um, is it the 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 Sycorax episode? Am I using the right one? Which, which one? It might be not be Sycorax. Um, there, I remember explosions. I remember um, uh, this insectoid-looking race. Oh, Rachnos. Um, Rachnos. Um, but I remember that episode. That is like seared into my child brain. Um, yes, it's still a child brain. <laughs> uh, it's seared into my still child brain. And I'll Why never do you forget own a child like, brain? Give it back. Uh, it's it, it's just in the vat that I have in the back of my room. And I occasionally sort of like USB into it to get the thoughts out. And I'm like, oh yeah, the um, uh, Ragnos episode. Um, but yeah, no, I will never forget that that sort of like fury coming out of the Doctor in a way that I didn't comprehend at that point in my childhood. Uh, speaking on that, and I suppose this could be the one of the last questions we ask. Um, uh, in terms of season two, <laughs> are you looking forward to any episodes in particular um, for, um, or for us to review or for us to revisit or to see in a new light? Are you with, fascinated? With you, with you. 
You know what? Like, I'll go left field, and I will say Tooth and Claw. Because this is the first episode that I saw as a kid where I was thinking, is this good? I don't know if I think this is good. Um, and so I am so excited at the prospect of listening to you guys talk about whether it is good or if it, you know, it is just this sort of this, like, thing of, like, maybe my child brain had was developing tastes that, that, that like, now I don't agree with. Or, um, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. I'm so curious to see, because that was an episode where I was like, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> it's a question. Will, will there ever be any Doctor Who that, you know, gets you in the way that you felt the first time you watched the 1996 Paul McGann TV movie? Oh, I sincerely hope so. I mean, you live in hope, but... Okay, okay so, so this is the thing that I did miss out there, is like in the in that gap between, um, uh, between like Tennant and sort of like Matt Smith, I watched Old Who and I watched like all of the um and this is this is left field but the um uh, peter davidson ones um but oh no i that's where i started yeah it, um it was it was yeah. on um it was on youtube <laughs> so that was easy to watch and so i watched i watched pretty much all of the peter davidson ones i loved it <laughs> and then i watched like some john pertwee ones i watched some um uh, Tom Baker ones. I didn't. I watched like a few Sylvester McCoy ones because my parents knew I was really into it, so they kept getting me like different DVDs. But I, I absolutely love Peter Davidson and um, the TV movie. Um, I I adore it. I've watched that so many times <laughs> just because it's it is terrible and the like. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm uh, yeah yeah. I just I'm really. But you just change a few things and it could have been really good. I just like. It would not change those things. If I could go back and show <laughs> I would not change those things. I, I love it as an artifact of terribleness that is very funny to watch. Yeah, as, a, as, a, as an oddity in the Doctor Who universe, it's fab- it's yeah. fantastic. I would, I like, you know, if they made another TV movie and it promised to be as bad in the, in the right ways as that TV movie, I would be thrilled. Is it like <laughs> the room of Doctor Who? Yeah, like almost. I could imagine throwing spoons at the TV while it's happening. Like just picking apart, just like, oh, there's that like weird sort of fleshy, watery snake thing that the master is. Throw spoons at the TV now. Just snake. The just snake. (laughs) The just snake. Yeah, hashtag just snake. Let's uh, let's leave it on hashtag just snake. Oh, good. All right, I can call it the I can call it the just snake. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us once again. You've been an absolute delight, and we look forward to hopefully having you again in the future. Ah, thank you for having me. I've had a great time, and it's nice to just talk about Doctor Who again with you guys. All right, take care. <laughs> All right, bye. bye.
Hello! We are joined with our two-time guest and Stratford's handsomest man, Siobhan Brown. How are you, Siobhan? I'm very well, and thank you for saying that I'm the most handsome man in Stratford. I think with the theatrical season, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, I was... <laughs> I did think about that after I'd said that. I think coronavirus has kind of pushed all the new Lambda graduates out of there. Exactly. Uh, and long may they stay away. They, are, they have been crowding the market for much too long. I have been doing quite well. I've um, just today begun watching Nicholas Holt, Nell Fanning in The Great, having a lot of fun, realising that one of the writers of The Favourite is also one of the writers of The Great, and that's been... Oh, cool. Fantastic. Very, very good. Is it, is it, isn't there another show about Catherine the Great with Helen Mirren? Or is that, is that anywhere related? Or is that very different? That is with Helen Mirren as Catherine the Great. And I don't think it's the same person who made it, but, because uh, I've, I've not seen that one. Maybe it's the same, but I, it was on Sky, so I'm not sure if it had the same. Uh... It looks like the, t- it looks like the tail end mm. of her life rather than the beginning. Yeah, it is the tail end of her life. But also, Helen Mirren in that show, oh, uh, also plays Catherine the Great at about the age of 30 onwards, which doesn't make any what? sense. What? Although, she, didn't she play the... She she did play the Queen at 25. In the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Put it's easier to age up that. than age down, by a long way. Yeah, much e- much easier to age a person up, but you know what? If Helen Mirren can do it... No, she was, no, she was in her 70s and playing the 25-year-old Queen. That's what I'm telling Will. Ah, I see. If Helen Mirren wants to do it, I won't tell her her business because literally, who am I? <laughs> yeah, which brings us nicely onto Doctor Who. Yes, very good, very good. Um, Paul McGann style. Who am I? John Belshon. Uh... No, different podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is a deep cut. <laughs> the Paul McGann bit, not Les Mis. Les Mis is famously quite successful. Yeah, that's not a deep cut. <laughs> but the Paul McGann, who am I, is... Yeah, that's very deep cut. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm congratulating myself on doing a deep cut. Anyway, <laughs> so you joined us for The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. Have you had any thoughts on those episodes since since talking about it with us? Talking about it with uh, with you two, I have kept coming back to how very frightening I found the Empty Child, and how when I talk to people who have seen that episode of Doctor Who in the years since, that they, they that everyone says, "Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that that one really, really messed me up." <laughs> there is just something visually very upsetting about it, and I feel like that catches one of the few Doctor episodes in that first series that captures that feeling that. People's parents and grandparents may have had being utterly terrified of bla- of bad rubber costumes. <laughs> but, I, mean, I mean, the design of the empty child is just so simple, and that might also be one of the reasons why it's aged so well. It's not had the time to look cheaper and look a bit silly. If you made the episode now, the empty child would look exactly the same. Mm. I was thinking um, about the episode in relation to Dalek. 
because they both have a similar arc of the monster as victim. But what really sets apart is the main villain we've discussed on Dalek is the guy, Henry Van Staten, who's keeping the Dalek captive, whereas the Empty Child is, is a bit of a rudderless force. And, and in some ways that makes him more scary. Yes, there is a kind of... Um, there is a terror in how senseless the Empty Child seems to be. It's, it's, yeah. it's just going yeah. out and acting on on pure instinct, and it, that's really frightening. Coming back to Doctor Who after all this time, and I know that you obviously have watched Doctor Who since 2005, but going back to this early episode at this point in this context, did you find yourself reimagining how you felt when you first watched it or do you, did you find that you were bringing new stuff to, new stuff to it watching it now or more likely both <laughs> the answer is both i was i was definitely the first time i rewatched it without then speaking to you guys directly i was rewatching it but feeling as if i was a child again and i wasn't really thinking very critically about what i was looking at it was only the second and then even the third viewing, when I was finally seeing it as an adult and being like, "Oh, this this doesn't this doesn't have to be that scary." But what it is, it's a very well constructed ghost story, and it's the kind of thing that had been off of a sci fi ghost story, been off of TV in Britain at least for a long time. Yeah, um, and what the thing about it, watching it at the time. You probably won't have been as familiar with, you know, the because even though it's Second World War Two, it feels like a Victorian ghost story. Very much so. Whereas, it, whereas, it, it is the it is the misty London streets. It's the it's it's the lamps yeah, that yeah. aren't gas lamps, but feel like they might as well be. It's very um, Wilkie Collins. Yeah, oh. no. yeah. Actually, it it it, it does it, it does have a little touch of of like woman in white in there. And I know Woman in White isn't a ghost story, but fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Siobhan, when you when you were um, a, a youngin or a child watching these Do- Do- Doctor Who stories, did you know about the concept of regeneration? And did you know Chris Freckleson was going to leave the show at the end of the series? Or was that a complete shock to your, I, I guess, say t- nine, ten-year-old brain? Tiny mind. Yeah. Yeah, you you'd have been thirty when you first watched it. <laughs> Read. Yeah, yeah, it was after my second marriage, obviously, when I first saw the new series of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a childlike time! Childlike time. The second marriage broke the broke the childhood. Um... But of course, it was my housekeeper that ruined How everything. Work out between you. And- uh, it was um, it was it was my housekeeper obsessed with my dead ex-wife. I think was the reason. <laughs> oh, very good, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely evening to go boating, Rebecca. <laughs> In terms of 
as a child, did I know what regeneration was? I, I remember seeing on like UK TV Gold and on like Dave really old Doctor Who episodes. So I had a concept that this uh, wouldn't always be the same dude, but I didn't really know how that worked yet. I see. Okay, so it was was it was it it wasn't a surprise necessarily when Chris Freckleston's face exploded, but it was but it was also like what's happening? Well, yeah, I was like, is that you? You knew it could happen, but you didn't know it would happen. Yes, that was it. Ah, okay. Rewatching um, Empty Child Doctor Dances, did that have a, a any effect on changing um, like your favourite Doctors? Like, did you push Chris Freckleston up further on more vivid rewatch, or is he still in a similar position that you had uh, previously? It it has raised my my estimation of Eccleston because I'd been misremembering him actually i'm remembering him as being more miserable than he was we were just talking about this earlier mm, we were with the, like the lightness that he brings is is it's more chris freckleson's always remembered as the trauma doctor and i don't think that's actually fair or or real to his performance matt smith should be the trauma doctor because of what he put the fucking fans through that was a joke. The joke it was a joke, I, everyone. I mean it about Colin Baker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll, it's fine. He'll be dead soon. Colin Baker. Oh, don't say that. He won't take offense. He won't take offense. Oh yeah, Colin Baker would be the last person to take offense to anything like that. He's Colin Baker. Great on Twitter. You're right, actually. Oh, there you go. Follow Colin Baker on Twitter. Follow Colin Baker on Twitter. He's he is, I think he's the only classic doctor with Twitter. Good for him. I know. <laughs> Peter Davison just uses in, just incel forums. <laughs> yeah. He's currently typing up those Make America Great Ahead hats. hats. He's going to do it. Um, we really need to stop slagging off these doctors, just in case this gets big. And then, like, Peter... Please welcome to the, to the podcast, Peter Davidson! <laughs> Well, hopefully you'll call him Peter Davison if he comes on. It's too late now. He's heard you, he's heard you say it wrong. Now he'll know that you don't know no, his name. No, we're not William Hartnell. We can't just say stuff <laughs> and it becomes true. Oh, God. Okay, let's, 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 let's wrap this up here, people. Um, Siobhan, what, do you, what episodes of season two are you looking forward to? Either us re- recapping, uh, looking forward to us... Uh, just watching in general, along with, or um, are, I'm in, are interested in coming point. back for. I was giving options. I am always very interested in the two-parter of the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. I absolutely bloody love those. Again, because they are just, like, pure Doctor Who horror. Mm. And the Ood have aged well. The Ood have, have somehow aged very well, despite their quite silly glowing orbs that were silly even at the time, but for some reason, it's that kind of, that sort of splash of silly space campery that's still, in context, you're like, yeah, those are silly orbs, but is that the devil? I, it's, I, I, I do think this is the charm of Doctor Who. I can't wait that... to, let's talk about that. At the time, not now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in a few months, do you want to go? Do you want to talk about the Satan Pit? You're more than welcome. That would be that would be great fun, and th- and then we can. Okay, okay we'll we'll bump Thornhill. <laughs> yep, bye Thorn. <laughs> um, Siobhan. All right. 
thank you so so much thank again. you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure this and has been we will get in touch we will get in touch with you about impossible planet and satan's pit <laughs> we'll get in touch we'll send you an email it's fine <laughs> our people will talk to your people exactly all right all right take care take care <laughs> bye. bye now bye So, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, the wonderful, the talented, the beautiful, the gorgeous. Uh, the, the blonde. The blonde, the newly blonde, uh, Faye Lawler. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited to be back. How are you guys? Good. Well, you know. Yeah. 2020. Yeah, all right. How good, how fine, good can fine. you be? <laughs> Honestly, I'm a bit hungry. That's, now that you ask. That's fair. <laughs> that's that's a sort of that's a sort of set like a, a mean state for me that's yeah. always that's always where i am it's 2020 it's I such bought, a vibe of 2020 like there's nothing else to do so you just sort of eat you know with that's just it really isn't it i was you, on a... you're either in a state of you're either binge eating or seeing how long you can go without food oh god yeah, yeah. that my is rec- it my record my record is a few hours that's really strong. that's very good well done. i was on a really impressive i was on a really impressive health kick um and it's it, in the recent lockdown it's oh yeah like, I, I, I remember that weekend <laughs> yeah it was a good weekend no i was doing really well i was doing really well i'd done it for about two months like sometimes i ate badly that's fine but like main, mainly i went to the gym and etc and then lockdown happened and i currently eat either a mcdonald's with about five apple pies or i buy two tesco pizzas <laughs> not one two but sometimes um, there's a deal I'm... on you can't you know a deal, I mean, a deal. That, that is a deal is a deal. Club card deals at Tesco's right now. A deal are lit. is a steal. The deal is a steal. The deal is dangerous. Yeah. Right, guys, I just want to remind you this isn't a normal episode. We only have about 15 minutes oh, to I film. Know. <laughs> and we are meant to talk about Doctor Who at some point. That's true. That's true. That's true. What That's, topic well, this... would this doctor have on their pizza is where we're going to take it. Actually, funny enough, Charlie. <laughs> I'm joking. We're not really. We, we don't have to do that. <laughs> I really want to answer uh, that question uh, now. Um, no, I, I really want to ask that. Absolutely. I think something spicy. Ooh, like a chilli kind of situation. Because, like, there's, there's, you, could, you could, on the one hand, go, like, minimalist. Mm. And be like, it would just be, like, a plain margarita. Or you could go, no, he's quite daring and he's quite, you know, exciting. There'd be peppers. There'd be chorizo. There'd be pepperoni. Like, it. I wholeheartedly believe he would have something eye-wateringly spicy and then wash it down with a nice beer. I think he'd nice. have, I think it'd be quite beefy. I don't really know why, but I just think maybe like meatballs and marinara sauce with maybe, I don't know, chips or something, just to add a little... What did you call it? Marin- what did you call marinara, it? is that all right? Marinara, yes. What did I say the first time? <laughs> Melania sauce. <laughs> Also, as soon as you say that, I think about the Meat Mall Mariana sub from Subway. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> where I was. <laughs> I love it. Chris, I love it. What's, what, what's, what topping is Chris Freckleston as a doctor? Uh, he's like a Subway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you either get the foot long or you just get a little nip. <laughs> Before we shift, I will say 
that I think Rose is a ham and pineapple person. Do you? Just because of the color, sc- just because of the color scheme. No, I think that's Martha because either people love her, love it or you don't. Oh, do you know Martha. what? That's a really no, good. No, that, that's if Ma- no. It's what would they? It's what would they eat? Not what topping are they? Oh, okay, that's that's true. I love that we've created rules. <laughs> this is important. Yeah, this is so why people sorry. are tuning in. Well, this is. I think this is. Um, I think. I think this leads us in quite well to our Doctor Who conversation. No, it we, does not. No, it Whatever does. You think it no. does well? It does not. It does. I'm be- here for it, but it is not good. It does because um, the the wonderful thing about every episode with Faye is that we talked about Doctor Who for a little bit of time, but we mainly talked about ourselves, our life, our our positivity, and joked. I have had so much fun editing all of your episodes. Pay for pay, Faye. Um, <laughs> Pay, pay, Fay. That's just a, that's just a disclaimer. Pay, Fay. Please, just someone pay, Fay. Um, but, but honestly, it's it's been a delight. I mean, sometimes the audio quality's been a bit, yeah, but um, that's that's not your fault. That's because that's that's because uh, we can't do we, this in we person. We can't afford to buy all our guests. I know exactly, and they would have been if absolutely could, fine if we could have done this. Just in person. imagine the chaos that would ensue. Except when we did when we. Oh, that's when true. we did an episode with a guest in person, it we had such a good time that it was just so long. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Honestly, yeah, this is we, we had no self filter. Yeah, really. No, this is, this is not productive. No. This would be this would be great if we had like an hour and a half of just chatting shit with you. We have fifteen minutes to talk about Doctor Who, um, and so far we're about five minutes in, and we've not even talked about the Sladeen. <laughs> Go. The first five minutes has been literal tangents. I love it. It's like, what's what's been the topic of conversation? Tangenting. <laughs> um, the funny thing about tangents is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, um, Faye. What if if you think back to your to the episodes of Doctor Who you reviewed? They were all with the Slovene. Mm-hmm. Are you yes. still a big fan of the Slovene as camp silly creatures? Have you had any more thoughts on like if? Whether you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm a bit, I'm a bit done with Slovene now. I've actually grown more fond of them, I think, and actually season one in general. As oh, a that's amazing. Because I think, like, I think I mentioned in one of the earlier kind of reviews that I had this sort of weird, like, oh, it's a dark place. Don't go back to season one, kind of feeling about it. And then as I started rewatching them as a as a I'm gonna say a real grown up, but that's not true. As a bit of an older person, uh, I felt very With grey hairs. <laughs> with grey hairs <laughs> featuring many a grey. Um I felt very <laughs> <laughs> I felt very differently about it and like much more fond of it and all of its little quirks. And I think the Slovene episodes are a really nice little little celebration of creative writing you know a little you know quirky <laughs> jokes in here and you know things that technically really don't make sense but we don't mind it's sci-fi you can do what you want and i think it's just hey, it's just made me it's a sci-fi yes quite literally with meatballs and marinara sauce on it <laughs> um, <laughs> um and yeah, no, I still absolutely love them. And I just, I love that I'm still so not over the farting thing. I never will be. I just love it. Like, I just love it. It's my favourite thing about them. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the Slitheen so much, um, having rewatched. I always thought they were great, but it was just, they don't really 
they have cameo appearances, but they are never the primary villain after season one. And yet, thinking back to it, we know so much about their motivations, about their backgrounds, about their powers. It's so interesting that it is just so concealed. Whereas you have like the Daleks, you have the Cybermen, you have the Master, and that mythology is built over decades and decades and seasons and seasons. The Slitheen, you just kind of have three episodes and we know everything we need to about them and we don't need to see them again. It does beg the question, though, I always think, like, if they can bring back, you know, the Daleks, Cybermen, like you say, keep bringing them back and there keeps being these kind of, oh, no, they've done this thing that we could never have foreseen. What do we do? Why can't you do that with the Slitheen? Like, I'm just, I'm, I want to know what they've got up their sleeve that we don't right. know. My, my view on this, and we can get to this... Uh, later episodes i think that in terms of in terms of returns the new series seems more interested in terms of original characters or creatures they seem to be more interested in bringing back characters than they are original monsters and yes you have like the weeping angels you have the ood but like their comeback was nothing compared to rose coming back yeah yeah. Or River, River Song coming back when she was exciting. <laughs> to John Sim... Or to, to John Sim's master coming yeah. back. Not just the master, but that specific master. Yeah. Other than that, all the returns have been cl- from the classic series and was more nostalgia for the classic series rather than nostalgia for the early revived series. Which I think is a shame, but I'm also happy that sometimes Captain Jack comes back. Yeah. Mm. And we get excited about that. I'm excited that Rose came back. You, you know what yeah, I mean? Definitely. Well, also, we also have with the, the Jadoon have come back recently, which I think yes. is a very good idea to, to bring That's, them back into the world. I'd forgotten about that. Um, I think the, the Jadoon was so underdeveloped during Davis's time that I do want to see more of them. Yeah, it's a, clev- it's a clever one to bring back that you can add a bit more story. I think, with the, I think that the Ood, their story has kind of been completed in because you have Planet of the Ood. And you have the end of Davis's um, Tenant series with the Ood, and then you have their opening Impossible Planet. They're so that's all starting. I, mean, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a character that was an Ood, rather than the episode being built around. I wouldn't mind bringing back an Ood, but I think as a story function, it's just a bit eh. Mm. Like they did in the Doctor's Wife. Yes. Yeah. Nice, 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 nice reference. Okay, so another question is: um, If did you watch any more of season one, and did you have any more after you after those three episodes? I did. So I have, and it's sort of I sort of cringe at myself because sometimes they're really great and you could appreciate them, and sometimes they're really not. When they go back to very kind of pop history, if you like, so like the Charles Dickens episode I watched very recently, and I just was like. I'm just living for all of it. Like, I think it's brilliant. And there's some parts that I'm like, well, that's just a bit interesting. But I love those history (laughs) episodes. I love them for no reason than just all the kind of pop culture, you know, littering of titles or changing something that would have been, I think they say something like, it would have been like, what the Dickens. And I think Dickens actually said, what the Shakespeare. And I was like, oh, come on guys you know and i just i love all those kind of things so i watched that one recently i watched the the dalek episode as well again very recently oh, lovely. so yeah it's really it, doing this really has it's 
it's definitely made me revisit it in a more friendly and appreciative kind of way. Which I'm Good, I'm glad. I, I hoped that, I really did hope that um, the people who guessed on the podcast didn't go back to Doctor Who with a more a critical and removed eye. I, ho- I hoped they get, came back to Doctor Who with a more nostalgic and fun eye. Because I think that's what we that's what we try and bring to the podcast. So that's great. Um, any um, episodes in season two that you are getting very excited about? I just love David Tennant. <laughs> I love it. I think he's asking: Are there any episodes that you would like to um, guest on? Any? Any? We were th- we we were <laughs> we were wan- we were wondering. Just to continue the Slitheen trend, whether or not you wanted to do Love and Monsters, the Peter K one. Oh, I have such a deep hate for that episode. I have such a deep hate Which, for it. Would you like to? Would you like, in, in a way that you would like to bitch about it, or in a way that you want to forget about it and move on, and do an episode with the cat people? Well, I suppose it's what. It's what the listeners want, isn't it? Really, if they want it. Verb- <laughs> yeah, oh, there are not verbally. enough. There are not enough of them that we could get a consensus. <laughs> you know, do they, Having do said they, that, do Faye, they by your audio you... want to hear my toes curl? Like, is that what they want? If that's what they want. Having, s- Faye, we'll honestly, at, at this current moment, out of all of our guests, you are the most listened to, and that is with that is not fully putting into consideration that you've been on three times as opposed to the other people's two. Which- um, Aliens of London was listened to 103 times. 103 people. Even though the even though the audio is terrible, is shite. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny enough. That's where a lot of people fell off our podcast. But that's fine. Well, I'm joking. I'm joking, what, Faye. I'm joking. I've listened to it 100 times. So yes. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely think it might actually be Emma Phelan because she texted <laughs> text me saying because you know the Spotify year yearly roundup. Yes. Oh yes. We are her most listened to podcast Work. of 2020. Oh, I'm you thrilled know, at that. This, this podcast came third in mine, and that is after yes! David Tennant's and, uh, um, what was it, Happy Place. I was like... I, I just want to point out, this wasn't even in my top five. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's G- a loyalty genuinely. there. <laughs> no, I just listened to a lot of news podcasts. I love that. Um, okay, so I'm. Uh, it's coming to the end of our time, and I wanted to do this. Um, I wanted to do this at the beginning, but I'm going to do it now. Um, so Fe- Faye's birthday was on Monday this week, I believe. Was it Monday or Tuesday? It was. It was Monday. It was Monday, and um, I don't know how the post office works, or I couldn't be asked to send Faye a birthday card uh, because I'm rude. Um, so I, <laughs> instead, while I was editing Boomtown a couple of weeks ago, and um, I came across this piece of audio that that in my mind that Faye said that worked perfectly with the song Slam by Pendulum as a sort of remix track. So I've got everyone set it up now. Um, (laughs) Faye, if you if you Faye, if you I've said pay again, if you play the song That's Her Choice, yeah, on Doctor Who's cast. Okay, here it is. Okay, hang on. That's her joys, yeah. 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 Like my whole life. Like my whole life, ever. Ever. 
I sound so froggy, like like no. guttural. Guttural, yes, God, that froggy. Is no. Can I make that my text tone? Here's some more. Here's some more. I'm gonna another little sample. Sorry, what? She's an egg. What? Who? 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 Why? Why is she an egg? What just happened? That's her choice, yeah. Oh my god. Do you oh, know it's what, so good. Actually? The the who? What? She's an egg. That whole bit. If I weren't who I am, it would be sort of akin to you know in Wolf of Wall Street when Margot Robbie is like, who? Who? What yes! are you fucking out? Yes, yes, I love that bit of Oh, that's that's it's amazing. Just like the discount version. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh my god. Fantastic. It's the best birthday present I've had so far. Oh, good. I'm really glad. <laughs> I hoped you'd like it. I really worried that it would be offensive. But no, good. I'm really glad you liked it. Um, but anyway, it's been an absolute delight having you. Thank you so much for being our, our most featured guest on our, our first season of this podcast. And it's been an absolute ball having you on. Thank you very And much. I hope to have you back on in the, in the podcast in the not-too-distant future. Uh, although the, this current editing rate... Uh, <laughs> I'll see you in 2022. Yeah, it's bi week. It's bi- It's basically bi. It's basically bi weekly. Uh, and 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 the and the way we're going now, we could end up with the Christmas invasion actually coming out near yes, Christmas. Very true. Oh well, that's not a terrible thing. That's fantastic. Which is which is something we've talked about wanting to do for a while, but thought that we'd be getting them out too quickly to make that happen. So dreams come true. We would. Is all you can say. Dreams exactly. do come true. Great song. <laughs> right. All right. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye. Hello, we are now joined by our most recent guest, our two-time guest, Mr. Tom Thornhill. How are you, Tom? Oh, very good, guys. Delighted to be back. Third time lucky. Very exciting stuff. Well, Will's delighted to have you. Yes, as always. Yeah. As long as one of you I'm, is, that's uh, all I'm looking for, boys. I'm undecided. <laughs> <laughs> always on the fence. Um, so, we've... we've um, very recently, we, we talked through Parting of the Ways and, and Dalek, and no, not Parting of the Ways and Dalek, Parting of the Ways and Bad Wolf. Um, we have did you talk had about Dalek earlier today? We did talk about Dalek earlier today. Um, have no, you? You've had, a, any... you've had a busy day. Are you guys just are you guys just running through these guests one by one? Uh, over the weekend, we've only done uh. um, Wilcox today. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and we're going to do Siobhan tomorrow. We'll be wow. doing. Uh, and hopefully the, the... Bay. There was the, the 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 lonely isolated boy in me was hoping that we were going to have all the guests on one call and it was going to be a big festival of 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 uh, a bit a bit like a bit like David Tennant when he gets all of the uh, when he gets all of his com- com- companions to help him fly the TARDIS. I was hoping it was going to be a uh, uh, something along those lines. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. No, we're doing <laughs> yeah. we're doing more of a uh, the Doctor calling Torchwood and Sarah Jane and 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 K nine in the, in mm-hmm. that finale. We're doing that mm-hmm. over. The flying the TARDIS. Oh, see, I was thinking mm-hmm. it's more like when Tennant 
is about to regenerate and he has like mini scenes with all the old companions. And uh, now we're gonna go oh, and nice. see you. And now we're gonna go and see you. And now we're gonna His go and see Alonso. you. Yeah, yeah, even Alonso. <laughs> yeah, Alonso comes back. You're like, Alonso. Shout out to Russell Tovey. Russell Tovey just love him. does whatever Russell T. Davis tells him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does. <laughs> he does. And he does very well out of it. So it's a it's a transactional relationship yeah, that cool. works. Exactly. Um, so going back, going going back to the original question, you've just done the finale. I suppose what was the point in season one before the finale episode? Charlie just yawning in the background. Thank you, Charlie. Um, what was the point it in the finale episode? Turned into a yawn. <laughs> nice. What was the point in the finale episode um, before the finale episode that hooked you into Doctor Who? Were you immediate fan from Rose, or do you remember a vivid time in your in your youth where you there was an episode set that said, "Okay, this is I'm going to become a lifelong fan because of this episode." No, I wasn't immediately in in Rose. I mean, I watched from the start because my dad was like, this show I watched as a kid is back. You've got to watch it. You'll love it. You'll love it. And so we watched the first few episodes together. I don't I don't, I don't, think he actually particularly loved the remake because I think after two, three episodes, he stopped, but I carried on. Oh, interesting. But he, but he, uh, but he it was him, that put, it was my dad that put me onto it. Um, but for me, it was, and, an, an, well, there were two episodes, really. One is um, I've literally forgotten its name. When the Gelf come through the rift, Unquiet Dead. Unquiet Dead. Un- Unquiet Dead. I remember properly spooking me out, but also just it being like fascinated by it. It just really, really gripped me. But then I remember the moment I was like, I'm never going to miss an episode of this. Was after Dalek in Van Staten's bunker. Ah. Um, lots. I know lots of people say it, but. It, personally, for me, I think it is like it's just it's one of the strongest episodes they've made still. Like I, there are very few episodes that come close to that, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, and which probably, to be fair, is biased by I saw it as a kid and was literally transfixed, like mesmerized. Um, Can I ask you a this... question? leading yeah. on to this is is would you, sure. had you seen a Dalek in mainstream popular culture before you saw it on the screen? Was that your first encounter with a Dalek? That is a very good question, and I'm honestly not sure on the answer. I feel like I must have seen one, because they're such a part of culture, and obviously I've known them for so long now that I can't believe anyone would never have seen a Dalek, but... You know where I think you may have seen one? Where? Did you ever watch that um, Looney Tunes movie? Yes, I did. I did. Looney Tunes Back in Action. Yeah, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Great film. Amazing film. I love that film so yeah, much. Yeah, it's so good. It it's so good. That's some Patreon content. There is a feature. Dalek in that. There's a Dalek Did you in say that I film. I really hope I'm not imagining... Pardon? There's a Dalek in that film. Yeah. You know when wow. they go to Area 51? Yes, mm-hmm. it came out in 2003. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I saw it in the cinema. And you know when all the aliens escape... Vaguely, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a Dalek there. There is a classic silver and blue Dalek. Ah. Incredible, incredible. But there you go. Well, so I had seen a Dalek. You, thank you, Charlie. You've answered that for me. There you go. So I definitely saw that film in the cinema. But I you might I had have... little like. Yeah. But as a that's Breakfast almost toy like... cereals as well. But that's almost like an Easter egg in a way. So you wouldn't have been. Able... Mm-hmm. You might not be able to get the context. But no, but <coughs> it's a sign of like how pervasive they are in in, in culture. culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why my my and it was a guess. My guess was that I probably had seen one. 
I, I, it's going back to talking about me because why not? Um, I, I watched Doctor Who before it aired, and so I'd seen a Dalek. Um, in about, I'd seen, the, I'd seen the Five Doctors before the doc- Doctor. So I, so I knew what a Dalek was. And I'll, I'll be honest, in that episode, it's pathetic. In the, the only episode I'd seen a Dalek in is the Five Doctors, where. Um, I don't. If you're not aware of the Five Doctors or not seen it, a Dalek shows up um, with a recast uh, First Doctor and Susan uh, in the Death Zone in a sort of wall of mirrors type thing, and the Dalek is defeated by going into a room by itself with lots of mirrors on it and shooting against a wall until it hits itself and gets destroyed. It's honestly destroyed about two and a half, three minutes, and I think that was why it was so impactful to see the Dalek in Dalek. And you're right, I think that was the moment for me that I knew that I was going to stick with this show for a long time. Um, was Dalek as well. Um, well. There was another thing I was going to ask, um, but I've now forgotten what, I was, what it was. Charlie, do you want to ask a question? Uh, well, what we were talking about in our uh, last conversation, not with you, but today, um, was specifically... Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor. As you know, this is his only season, and you're in a unique position because you watched with us the the regeneration episode. Mm-hmm. So, the last episode you saw of Eccleston was the one where he full on regenerates. And in light of that, not just in light of those episodes, but what do you think makes that Doctor special? The Ninth Doctor. I think... I mean, I think for me, and the, the reason that... I think Eccleston as a Doctor, I think is probably the only Doctor where every time I go back and watch, I see more. I pick up more from his performance and his acting every single time I rewatch his episodes. And, you know, he, he's not... Probably I'd still put Tennant as my favourite Doctor. Uh with maybe even Capaldi a close second. So Eccleston is, is up there probably making the top three for me. But the thing that I just love so much about him, particularly now we've had uh, now we've had John Hurt and the War Doctor and we've seen everything that the Doctor's been through and obviously the Ninth Doctor c- carries on straight from that. I think the thing that's so incredible about Christopher Eccleston is just the depth of emotion that he brings to that character. I've 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 still never seen, and Capaldi came close for me, but I've still never seen an actor bring a, a level of emotional depth that every single move of the eye, raise of an eyebrow, furrow of the brow, every single tiny choice Eccleston makes for me tells a thousand words and every single time I go back and watch it I can find more and see more and I find that I find that the more and more I've immersed myself in Doctor Who lore the more I appreciate Eccleston's performance the more of the entire history I can see in each scene and I I mean I just think he's a he's a genuinely phenomenal actor and they could not have picked anyone better to play the Doctor who obviously we now spoilers we now know that he didn't actually push the moment but the Doctor who believes that he's just pushed the moment and ended the time war and destroyed his home world and the Daleks 
you know, a man who's just committed genocide when he meets Rose. And I, I don't think they could have picked anyone better. And I'd love, I love how much they let us show. And we've, we talked about it in our episodes together. I absolutely adore how much they let us show that this doctor is uh, flawed. Hmm. He's flawed and he's in a lot of pain. Uh, and, you know, I suppose the great irony really is he, he needs a doctor. He needs rescuing. He needs someone to look after him. And that story of Rose and the Ninth Doctor, you know, Rose showing him a different way to live and sort of to, it's okay to care and to sort of reach out and connect with the world again. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I could watch it again and again and never get bored of it. Fabulous. That's, that's really lovely. I love that. I think that's, uh, well, I think that's what we all take for Eccleston. I think it's lovely. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Tom for coming back it's been so lovely to have you and we look forward to watching Doctor Who with you again in the future oh, um, and before ha- you go um, is there mm-hmm. any episode of season 2 that you are looking forward to uh, looking forward to us reviewing looking forward to rewatching with us looking forward to possibly starring in any of, the, any of these questions um, well <laughs> as you know I would be delighted to come back for any episodes I've had so much fun doing this with you guys and uh, it's an awesome podcast and uh, if ever you want me back I'll be there um, season 2 episodes I really really enjoy um, I really enjoy School Reunion mm. really I think it's a I think it's a really I'd, I've always loved Anthony Head I was a big Buffy the, I'm just about old enough that I just watched Buffy and the Vamp- Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, and so when I saw Anthony Head pop up in Doctor Who with the Skrillane, loved it. I I actually, I actually loved the whole um, uh, the whole roses roses a dinner lady Sarah Jane's there. And then of course you got the again talk about incredible scenes. One of my favourite bits of music and setting in Doctor Who is the moment where Sarah Jane Smith sneaks into the school at night. She opens the door. And then just David Tennant is just standing there with the box and the music soars. And uh, I, just, I just remember when I was young, I, I obviously hadn't even seen original Sarah Jane. But I, I just remember watching that and being like, wow, there must be so much like history and connection here. I just, I love it. Loved it as an episode. Love that Mickey Smith gets his uh, sort of heroic moments as well. He sort of becomes a full-on joint companion in that episode. Um, so yeah, it's not um, it's not one of the biggest, like hardest hitting episodes, but I love, I absolutely love School Reunion. I think it's done so well. Well, I love it. And I look forward to getting your opinion on it when we review it later on. Lovely to talk to you, my friend. Right. Fantastic. Thank you Thanks so much, Thanks so much, Tom. guys. All right. No you, worries. Tom. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See you later, guys. Well, wasn't that lovely? Wasn't it just so lovely? Whoever we put on last was such a delight <laughs> i think we're going to go in order so i think it's going to be tom thornhill so thank you tom i imagine it was no past tense it was tom yes it was tom yes tense isn't doctor sure. who you know that gets confused gets confused you know it's a timey wimey show that's right um <laughs> so is there anything else you'd like to say i mean happy christmas soon will happy christmas soon um we, we've got a quite ex- we're gonna do an actual christmas episode yes i know this is our pre-christmas episode and then we've got our po- we've got our actual on the day of christmas episode which will be and we have a very special announcement <laughs> what's the special <laughs> announcement <laughs> 
uh, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. That is a special announcement. His Holiness, the Pope. Yes, the Pope is, is coming on. on. The Pope is coming on to talk about Doctor Who. John Malkovich himself. Uh, pope Francis. Oh. <laughs> Pardon? Oh, I rang Joel Malkovich. I rang the new Pope. Oh, I phoned the young Pope. I've got Jude Law coming. Oh, very nice. Oh, we've, well, there we go. So, is that is that too many guests? If we have Jude Law and John Malkovich, um, you know, I've I've heard they've got a bit of a spat in the media, so um, we might need to we might need to sort that out. But in the meantime, we've got a backup who is the wonderful Pope, the actual Pope Francis. Yeah, the actual Pope Francis, the backup, and then saving if that. If we can't get Malkovich or Law, we get the Pope. And if we don't we get, get the real Pope. Pope Francis, we have a extra, extra, extra special backup um, of Emma Phelan. Backup. In case everything goes horribly wrong, we hope we don't have to do this. Exactly. We hope we don't have to bring her in, but if everything goes tits up, we do have a friend. <laughs> Who is called Emma Phelan, and she is wonderful, and she is has been obsessed with this podcast, um, from what I hear from, from Charlie. She hates Doctor Who. She hates Doctor Who. She loves this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, she she she, so, she she sees this podcast as ruining Doctor Who's reputation, and that's really good for her. She likes that. Um, she fucking hates it. She hates so many things that we love. <laughs> Liberty, freedom, Biden, yeah, all all those things she hates. Hats, hats. Oh yeah, you know that she's she's a Trump supporter. She's an anti-vaxer. <laughs> she's a Holocaust denier. She's a homophobe. Um, she's a massive homophobe. Yeah, she thinks we should bring back the death penalty. And she agrees with J.K. Rowling for shoplifters about everything. <laughs> And she agrees with J.K. Rowling. Like, if you're like, oh yeah, she agrees with J.K. Rowling about most things, but not that. She does. Yeah, that one she thing. She does. She absolutely does. Yeah. Does that it... thing that you think couldn't possibly, no matter what it is, she does. She's like the last remaining J.K. Rowling stand. We cannot stress enough how much we don't want to have her on the show. <laughs> but if Jude Law, John Malkovich, and the Pope can't make it, if none of them can make it, she is our last resort. Exactly. Because Alex Wilcox is busy. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. All of our other guests have done their time. They're a bit sick of it now. Um, so yeah, let's. Oh, we have to send this to, this recording to her. Oh tonight, yeah. Oh well, she's gonna she's gonna listen to it to, to to it when it comes out on Monday, and she's gonna be like. And we're well, I'm not coming out then. Episode tomorrow. Yeah, we're recording the, the new podcast tomorrow, so she can't get out of it. She can't get out of this now. Well, unless, you know, the four popes can't do it. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to this podcast over what has been Thanks, a guys. long couple of months. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter, Twitter at Doctor Whocast, Instagram at Doctor Whocast, Facebook at Doctor Whocast, or write us an email at Doctor Whocast at gmail.com. And it's goodbye it's from It's goodbye me. from him. <laughs>